You're listening to a podcast of Hillside Community Church in Rancho Cucamonga, California. To learn more about our church, please visit hillsiderancho.com. In uh, the Gospel of Mark, if you have your Bible, grab Mark real quick. There's an introduction to how God is starting to work in a new way. It's the New Testament. The story is found in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the New Testament. And the New Testament is not a, a doing away with the Old Testament. It's a fulfillment of the Old Testament. But we're told as Jesus comes on the scene and the New Testament begins to be written that God is working in a fresh way on earth. God's working in a fresh way among his people. And, and Mark is one of those accounts. Uh, let me read a few verses for you. Mark chapter 1 verse 1. Mark writes this. In the beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, so now he quotes for the next verse and a half, something that's hundreds and hundreds of years old. The prophet Isaiah prophesied about Jesus coming hundreds of years before Jesus came and said this, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. So not only did Isaiah prophesied about Jesus, the Messiah coming. He prophesied about one coming before Jesus that would make a way. Verse four tells us who that is. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. John the Baptist, like Baptist is his last name, middle name, nickname, I don't know, but that's who he is, John the Baptist. Not because he was a part of the Baptist denomination, but because he baptized people. And through his ministry, God was marking a new chapter in his story. He was ushering in the ministry of Jesus and inaugurating the work that Jesus would do on this earth. Jesus at this time in the story of Mark is some 30 years old, but now officially his ministry is beginning to launch out. And so as he writes in chapter one, Mark says, in the beginning of the good news about Jesus. He's saying there's good news. It's, it could be the term gospel. There is good news, and this is it, Jesus. Jesus is good news for every person, for those who are lonely, those who are lost, for those who are struggling, for those who are hurting, those who are doubting, those who don't have meaning, they're frustrated. Jesus is good news. The, the declaration of the angels to the shepherds in Jesus' birth is, it is good news that will cause great, what? Joy. And the fulfillment of joy comes through Jesus. Not just happiness, but joy in life comes through Jesus. And Mark says, John the Baptist has come to prepare the way. It's a new work that God is doing. It's a, a new invitation of how God is going to work in our lives. Just a few verses later, verse 9, Mark continues and says, At this time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. So, so Jesus shows up on the scene and John the Baptist recognizes him and Jesus comes down into the water. And you, if you're John, you're thinking, Jesus, the Messiah, why, why are you getting in the water? And Jesus says, I want you to baptize me. Jesus didn't need to be baptized, right? He was in one more way identifying with us 
the rebellious ones and saying, I've come for you. I've come to show you a way. I've come to deliver. And so Jesus steps into the waters and John baptizes him. And as Jesus is coming up out of the water, there's all these confirmations. God the Father speaks from heaven. You are my son and I am pleased. The Holy Spirit descends like a dove, again reminding us that our God is three in one. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and we can trust him. And then verse 14, just a few verses later. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. This is Jesus' message. It's good news for us. The time has come. He's saying, it's, it's that time. It's now a new time. The time has come. It is here. He says, the kingdom of God has come near. God's work on this earth is, is beginning to work in a new way. And then Jesus says, repent and believe the good news. The, the way that you get involved, the way that you participate, the way that you experience this life is through a personal relationship with Christ. And he says the first step is you repent. And that word literally means to change your mind. It's this idea of turning your life as if you're going in this direction and you're walking this way and you have dreams and plans and hopes and maybe struggles that you've been trying to fix on your own. You've been trying to make it yourself and you turn. You turn to Jesus and you receive him. It's a turning back to relationship we were originally created for to find restoration, to find reconciliation in Christ and Christ alone. That's what it means to repent. Stop trying to fix yourself. Stop trying to work or earn and receive. So you repent and believe is that second invitation. The invitation is repent and believe. And belief means to place your confidence in. Belief is, is to say, I, I, I trust that you are able. I trust that your word is true. I trust these things that if you've been with us in core, that you're a God who reveals. You're a God who has spoken. You're a God who rescues. I believe. I believe. And there is a new call here in the New Testament. Now, the call has always been a little bit there, but now it's clearer than ever that you get to God through a personal relationship with Christ. You don't have to earn it. You don't work for it. You get there by repenting and believing in what Jesus has done. It's about what he's done, not about what you can do. And then the question is, well, what do you do after that? Well, what's that next step? What's that next place that you go to? So, so I grew up in North Carolina in, in a small little church in the Bible Belt. Not just the Bible Belt, but like the buckle of the Bible Belt. We were, we were there, centered. And so every single week in my church, this is what you did if you were going to repent and believe. You responded to an altar call. Anybody else grow up in a church that had an altar call? All right, so in, in my church at least, the altar call at the end of every service would be this like, come forward and give your life to Jesus Christ. And usually we would sing this song, Just As I Am. Anybody you know it I think that song must have 47 verses and we sing them all every week and then if the pastor was feeling a little frisky okay sing them again and that's what we would do and, and there's nothing wrong with that and, and we do that occasionally here but but that's there's not that method necessarily in the bible do you know how the bible calls you to respond you repent you believe you're baptized 
as a first step of obedience, as a first step of acknowledging I've turned my life over to Christ. I believe in who he is. And the first step after that is baptism. You follow God in baptism. And that's a commission that we've been given as a church. You can read about it in Matthew 28. The Great Commission says this. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. That we as a church have been given the commission as we preach the good news, as people respond to baptize. And you've been given that invitation as well. If you have turned and if you have believed that that next step of obedience is to follow Christ in baptism. I love when Peter in Acts chapter 2 preaches his very first sermon all about who Jesus is and what God has done through Christ. And at the end of his message, people are asking, what should we do now? In verse 38, Peter says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. So Peter is reiterating uh, something very important. But but we need to be very clear. He'd left out believe, but it's implied in that. Read the rest of what Peter writes. In repentance, he's also assuming you believe and be baptized. Not that baptism is part of salvation. It's an outward sign of something that happens inwardly. See, there's nothing special about this water. This is Cucamonga water. It's fine artesian well water. I don't think I would drink it now that some people have been in it. But there's nothing special about this water. This water doesn't have magical power. It doesn't do anything special. It is an outward declaration of something that has happened inwardly. So we're here to celebrate with some men, women, boys, and girls this morning. This whole weekend, dozens who are saying, I've placed my faith in Jesus. I've turned, I've believed, and now I am stepping out to follow Jesus in my life. And we're going to celebrate in just a minute with them, right? We're going to celebrate. But these waters, these waters don't save, these waters don't forgive, these waters don't do that. They're an out, they're just a sign. They're a, this is a, a declaration publicly today of some internal reality that has happened, that Jesus has saved, that Jesus has delivered. And these men and women, boys and girls are saying, and now I have a personal relationship with God through Jesus based on his grace, based on his love, not based on what I can do or what I bring to it. But it's a one-on-one relationship that Jesus has invited me into. And these are saying, I said yes. And so we know as scripture says, when one person who is lost turns to Jesus, one person says yes, there is a celebration in heaven. There is a party, the angels are rejoicing. So we're going to join in just a minute and rejoice. And maybe you rejoice by shouting, maybe you rejoice by clapping. Some of you have this funky whistle thing. You guys just do whatever you do to tell these, we love you, we're praying for you, we celebrate with you. After the service, they're going to put on a shirt that says, I believe, um, If you see them around afterwards, give them a high five, give them a hug, say I'm praying for you, I'm so excited for you. But I wanna do this, before we baptize, I just wanna pray and I just wanna ask God, even in this moment, remind us of your love, remind us of your grace and invite us into this story with you. So God, we pray that you will speak and we pray that you will guide and then these next minutes, as we join in the celebration of heaven, God, we pray you will be glorified. Thank you that you are a God who still forgives. Thank you that you are a God who still delivers. And when we are trapped and when we are in circumstances that we can't find a way out of, you are still a God who rescues. And we can know that because you've sent your son. 
We can know that because Jesus has told us, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And in me, you find life and life abundantly. And in Jesus, we find peace and a fulfillment of joy and hope no matter what is going on. So God, we enter the celebration. We give you praise. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Picking up in Mark chapter 1, verse 16, there's another part of an invitation that Jesus gives to us. Starting uh, in verse 16, I will read, and it says, As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once, they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father, Zebedee, in the boat with the hired men and followed him. There's this invitation that we're given from God to follow Jesus. And, and repentance and uh, believing and baptism is part of it, but it's a way of life. It's an invitation to allow every area of our life to come under the authority of Jesus and, and to surrender every area of our life, our vocation, our, our education, uh, our, our hobbies and our time, our money. It's, it's to say every area of my life I, I give to you. And, and some of us are a little af- afraid if we do that. Well, what's it going to cost and what will I miss out on? But here's what we're fundamentally misunderstanding in that moment. When we surrender and give it to Jesus, he doesn't take away, he gives more life, more joy, more hope, more peace. If you've been in our Bible reading plan just last week or the week before, we were reading this idea of no one who has sacrificed in this life for Christ misses out. God works in abundance. God works in powerful ways in our life. When we follow him, it's not then what we're going to miss out on life. It's amazing to see the ways that God works. The supernatural power of God in our lives, in the midst of every circumstance, every opportunity as we follow him to see him provide, to see him work in ways that, that just amaze us. And, and, and when we corporately together follow We see Christ do great things. We share in the joy of those who are baptized because we're family, a faith family. We're in this together. And then that leads us to the second of the sacraments that that Christ has left us with. There's baptism and then there's the Lord's Supper. And it's a special time where we come together to to worship God. We come together to, to do this act of remembrance of what Jesus has invited us to. So Mark chapter 14, if you want to jump ahead a number of chapters, starting in verse 22, Mark picks up the story and and sort of the admonition that Jesus gives to us as a church to continually remember. And starting verse 22, here's what Mark writes. While they were eating, Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and he gave it to his disciples saying, take it, this is my body. And then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them. And they all drank from it. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. 
Truly, I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Jesus says, here's this act that I want you to partake in. Here's what I want you to do. And and one theologian that I read said it this way, so you can remember and rehearse the gospel. So you can remember, it's that act of, of recalling again what Jesus has done, that as we're holding bread in our hand, we're holding a cup in our hand, we are being able to experience, remember what Jesus has done. Taste, see, touch, smell, the, the, the work that Jesus has done in, in bread that reminds us of his body that was broken for us, in, in a cup that has juice that reminds us of his blood that was shed for us. There's nothing special about the bread. Chances are it came from Costco. The, the juice, again, it's nothing special. It's probably Welch's, at my best guess. But they're, they're symbols that remind us in a moment of a profound truth. They're not just passing symbols that are meaningless. They're important symbols. Like, like if I wanted to tell my wife at different times in our relationship, I love you. Like right now, I could t- get out my phone. I could text her emojis. Heart, 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 heart. Heart, heart. And because I love her a lot, heart, heart, heart. Send. Those are symbols of me being able to say, I just want you to know I love you. The truth is those symbols, they don't cost me very much. They don't come with much of a price. But there was a day and a a time where I had a plan. I had a good plan. And we went away and I got on one knee that afternoon and I had a ring that was a symbol of my love. And I was a poor, broke seminary student. It cost me a lot. And I said, I I would love to know, will you marry me? Now that symbol meant something. It still means something to this day on her hand, a, a reminder of how much I love you. See, communion is that and so, so much more. It's a symbol that helps us to remember, helps us to experience, helps us to rehearse the good news of this story. That God loves us so much that he sent his son in our place to rescue us, to forgive us. Now, in a room this size, we have different backgrounds, different experiences when it comes to something like communion. And we've done it in different ways. I grew up in that little Bible Belt Baptist church. And we only did communion one way for 20 plus years that I remember. We had these little tiny stale crackers because we were cheap and they were probably left over from last month. And then we had a cup and the ushers would pass the elements and every time we did it the same and there's nothing wrong with that. It was a powerful thing for for me and some of you have have had it in all kinds of different ways. And when I first left North Carolina to go to Chicago to work at a church there, the very first time I I was serving communion was at a funeral. And I had never done that before, but this great uh, woman in our church who loved Christ, she passed away and she wanted communion at her funeral. We said, okay. And so, so we went to working on how to plan that. And uh, I was the Baptist boy up front and the other pastor beside of me was Presbyterian and in the room were Lutherans and Catholics and Baptists. And we were just a happy bunch all over the board. The plan that the family wanted was where you come up, tear off a piece of the bread, dip it in the cup and you take communion there on the spot. And that was great. It was a little bit different for a couple of us, but, but we were happy to oblige and be a part of that and to remember Christ that way. And so I'm holding the cup and the guy beside him, he's holding the bread and we start this long line of people, hundreds of people show up for the funeral and there's this line and people are coming and they're tearing bread and they're dipping it. And, and I would say, this is the blood of Christ uh, spilled for you, shed for you. 
And so all of a sudden, some woman comes and literally, I'm holding the cup, grabs my hands over the top of the cup and just drinks. And I'm like, And there's this long line of people that were probably like me, like, whoa, she just, she was just guzzling it down. And I'm looking like, what do I do? And I just sort of turned the cup. So her lipstick was on this side facing me, go on about our business like nothing happened. But we have different experiences and we've done things different ways. And we come to a moment like this, not always even understanding what it's about. But here's sort of how we view it. Here's how we read scripture. In this moment of taking communion together, the Lord's Supper together, we are remembering what Christ has done for us. And the bread and the the cup, they're tangible symbols. Nothing really more than that, that remind us, that point us. It's not about these elements. It's pointing us to what Jesus has done, helping us to remember, to rehearse what he has done for us. They also do this, they unite us in this room because we take together, corporately together, they remind us that at the Lord's table, it doesn't matter what your job is or if you don't have a job. It doesn't matter if you have a lot of money or no money. It doesn't matter who you are or where you're from. We all come together to Christ on equal ground. And we're united to one another in remembering what he has done for us in this moment and rehearsing that that the price he took on his body and the blood that he shed wasn't because he did anything wrong, wasn't because he deserved it. He took my place for all of my wrongs and he took your place. And so in this moment, communion, the Lord's Supper, it is for those of us who are followers of Christ. And you may be here and you would say, I'm not a follower of Jesus yet. I, I'm still trying to figure him out. That's, that's amazing and we are so glad you're here. You, you just don't need to take communion. You can sit. Nobody's going to judge you or look down on you. We're glad you're here. But communion is a time for those of us who are following Christ. And here's the deal. I can't answer that question for you. Nobody can. That's between you and God. Have you made a decision to repent, to believe, to follow Jesus? That's between you and him. And so you have to make that decision. But it's also pretty clear in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 that the Apostle Paul says, it's also a sacred time not to be taken lightly. And maybe you are a Christian, you're a follower of Jesus, but there's sin in your life, there's something going on in your life, and you're unwilling today, at least, to deal with it. And you're like, I don't want to address that, I I don't want to deal with that, I'm sort of liking my sin. Well, that's between you and God too. But Paul just says, then don't take communion. Like, like, don't enter into it half-heartedly. Don't enter into it when you have known issues in your life that you're unwilling to deal with. It's for those of us who are seeking God. It's a holy moment for us to remember. And maybe the thing that you need to do is stay seated in just a few minutes at your seat and just pray, God, I need you. Or maybe I need, to, I need you to give me the want to because I don't really want to follow you right now and what we do in this moment is remember it what we do is rehearse and so there's the invitation for us today to follow to enter into this time surrendered and so would you do this now close your eyes 
in here in, in the fireside. I want to invite you to close your eyes. And I want to invite you to pray a simple prayer in your own words. And maybe for some of you this morning it is, I need you. Help me, Lord. Maybe for some of you it's, uh, I, I need to turn from a sin. Maybe it's, I'm sorry, God. For others, maybe you've, you've taken communion hundreds of times. And the honest truth is, it's almost become a ritual. Maybe your prayer this morning is, God, remind me of the depths of your love, the heights of your grace. Remind me of how good this moment is, how sweet it should be. Renew a passion in me. Would you begin to pray that now? God, we pray that you would speak. We pray that you would guide. And there's some here that they would say, God, I'm sorry for my sin. And they truly are in a moment of repentance, God. Give them the assurance that you hear that prayer, that you forgive. When out of a sincere heart we turn to you, your grace, your love is beyond anything we would know in this world. For some of us as we prayed, God, renew our passion. God, would you do that stir in us? An understanding of what, what this moment represents. Strengthen our faith, we pray. Still with your eyes closed, I want to just invite you to take a moment and express gratitude, express thanks. And maybe it's as simple as, God, thank you for sending Jesus. Or, or maybe it's, Jesus, I just want to praise you and thank you for willingly laying down your life for me. Take a moment and express your thanks now. We do thank you, God, and we do honor you. And as much as this is a holy moment before us, it's also a moment of great joy. As we remember your love, your grace, your body broken for us, your blood shed for us, we receive. We say thank you. We know we don't deserve it. That's why it's grace. We know we haven't earned it. That's why it's you being merciful to us. Jesus, thank you for your sacrifice. And so flood our hearts with your love and flood our hearts to overflow with your joy and your grace. In this moment, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Hillside Community Church. For additional resources, please visit hillsiderancho.com. We also invite you to stay connected with us on Facebook and Twitter. Simply search for Hillside Rancho, all one word.